Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Zinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to MSW Wild Day, the launch of ManuscriptWishlist.com, version 4.0, and their newest feature, MSWL Live Agent Panels. This new series is designed to give you an insider's view, not only of what agents want within genres, but also to share classes, tips, prompts, and critiques so you can grow as a writer and find your best agent match. Enjoy. I'm so happy we're doing this. Thank you all for being here. Today is all about finding what agents want within genres, because just because you check a genre box does not mean you want everything within that genre, and we want to hear what your tastes are specifically. So this is going to be turned into a podcast, and video clips will be on the Manuscript Wishlist site, updated today. We have not crashed it yet. Hooray! It's for the first time we have not crashed the website. Yay! Go team! Um, but yes, this is just part of our, um, our project of bringing more multimedia and making the site as human and friendly as possible. And I can't wait for today. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Yeah, it has been an amazing day so far. Um, watching all those tweets come in, you know, the new site up and live. Um, without further ado, let me briefly introduce what we'll be doing today. First, we have B.B. Lewis with a query critique. Then we have Emmy Nordstrom-Higdon with a short lesson, which is adorable, and I love the slides, and I can't wait. After that, we have Kiki Nguyen with a flash fiction prompt, and then Anjanette Barr has another query critique. And yes, all of these critiques are from the queries you submitted. First up, we have B.B. B.B., tell us about yourself. Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you so much to Jessica and Julie for inviting me. Very excited to talk to all of you and, and share a little bit about, about me. Um, so I am an agent at the Ethan Ellenberg Literary Agency, where I have been for the past almost nine years. Um, I work on a little bit of everything. I do kid lit all the way up to adult. So I picture books, middle grade, young adult, and adult. Um, primarily fiction and some, uh, some nonfiction on the young adult middle grade side. Um, so a lot within there. Um, in women's fiction and romance, which is a genre that I love and I am heartily building and always on the lookout for more. Um, I prefer, I tend to love, you know, really big voices. I love a lot of comedy within it. I love to laugh. I do love to cry. So throw me some tear jerkers in there as well. Um, on the romance end, I love everything from contemporaries and historicals. You know, think Finley Donovan is killing it. Um, the movie, The Lost City, like anything that gets me laughing and running at the same time definitely send it my way. Um, on the women's fiction and book club side, I love, you know, multi-generational stories. I love family stories. Um, anything that really, I feel like, oof, that hit a little too close to home, right? Like something that will, will make me really relate to it, whether that's, you know, because it's an experience I've shared or a place I've been, anything like that. Um, I also really like mysteries and thrillers and I like women's fiction that verges on the end of, edge of it, right? So it's maybe mostly contemporary, but has little bits of, of intrigue and mystery. So 
that's about that. Yay. Thank you so much for doing that. I think that's going to give everyone a great idea of what they should be okay, sending good. you. Here is time for my query critique. Um, and I'm going to read along with it and I'll just jump in and out when I have a comment or have something to, to kind of say. So dear agent, great start. I'm excited to send my debut women's fiction worth the wait, 90K words, which is everything here is under control. Emily Adrian meets first comes love, Emily Giffen. This novel follows Logan Road as she endeavors to raise a strong, self-sufficient daughter and find personal fulfillment after her husband reveals he has another baby on the way. Um, so this is a good opening paragraph. The one thing I would do is probably to flip the pitch or the log line for the actual story with the comp titles. Basically, this is because, remember, you're telling me your story. You want to focus on what it is that you have written and why it is that I'm going to love it. Yes, it's great to get a kind of vibe for what it's like in the published market space, but at the end of the day, I want to know about you. I want to know about your book. So I would start with that. Okay. Just weeks before giving birth, Logan learns her husband is expecting a baby with his best friend's sister, Avery. Now, after years of pregnancy loss and trouble conceiving, Logan faces a decision. Does she stay with Connor and give her baby the life she's always imagined? Or does she leave her husband to show her daughter she's fierce and independent? In a move her best friend calls batshit crazy, Logan stands by Connor and also insists to be involved in his future son's life. Meanwhile, she buries her anger and humiliation in an effort to rise above her circumstances. This is great. I think there might be maybe one too many names in here. I think it could be streamlined just a little bit to give us those key pieces. Um, you also have two time signifiers right next to each other just weeks before and now after years can get a little confusing. Keep an eye on that. See if you can make it flow a little bit better so I know exactly when in time we are. After their baby arrives, Logan and Connor grow closer through the hilarious, terrifying, and humbling firsts of parenthood together. First bath, first smile, first, oh my God, is that supposed to be coming out of her butt? I love that line. I think it's really funny. It gets to the tone of the book. Great job. You always want to give us little hints of kind of how, how the voice is going to be. It doesn't need to be completely in the character's voice. In fact, I really suggest you don't do that because those are very silly, um, but but put in little moments of here's where the humor comes in. Here's where the series, I'm going to tug at your heartstrings, but I'm going to make you laugh. This does a really great job of balancing both of those. For months, it feels like happiness, even forgiveness. But when new pressures arise, Logan confronts her suppressed feelings, which drive her to separate from Connor before his second child is born. While navigating small town life and parenthood with Connor, Logan questions her career, marriage, friendships, and whether having it all is an impossible standard to attain. Along the way, she experiences the power of a mother's love, even for those she doesn't expect to love. And though she initially avoided her emotions, she realizes vulnerability is a sign of strength, and so is forgiveness. This is, I think, closest to what we would consider kind of the back cover copy, right? This is the main summary of the book. I think it does a pretty great job of telling me what it is. I would be a little bit careful of some cliches. I'm noticing a couple in there at the same time. You know, while they're having it all is an impossible standard. 
mixed with vulnerability is a sign of strength. I think maybe you can get away with one of those, but not quite both. Play around and see if you can make this uniquely your book. But as far as kind of an overview, I think this does a great job of setting up the themes, showing the kind of arc of the book. Um, really great. Um, I'm a mom, wife, therapy fanatic, and persistent optimist with a writing obsession. If you're interested, I'd be happy to send a completed manuscript. I look forward to hearing from you. It's a great bio. I love like little hints of your personality, right? I want to hear you're a persistent optimist. I want to hear you have a writing obsession. I think sometimes people get really hung up on, I don't have credits. What do I say? Why do I, what do I talk about if I haven't written anything before? This is kind of what you do. You tell me who you are. You tell me you love to write. If you write other things, this is a great place to put that in. I love to write women's fiction. Sometimes I dabble in nonfiction science, science writing. Whatever it is, put that here. Um, knowing the complete manuscript is there is also great because if I want it, you'll have it immediately for me to send. So really good job. Yay. Thank you so much. I heard everyone in the chat. I always want to make sure you're all okay if you're quiet. <laughs> so everyone in the chat is loving all of your analysis. We have a few minutes left for you. Does anyone want to ask any quick questions for BB? Hi. Hi, everyone. First of all, congratulations on getting up your new website. That's awesome. Thank, Thank you. you. And thanks to BB and everybody who is here today to chat with us. Um, I was just curious about what's going on in the romance market. For a while, I know it was pretty cold because so many romance writers were self-publishing and mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of room for new voices and it was the same people who are, you know, fantastic writers, but there's not a lot of room in the around the edges. So I just wanted to get a your um, opinion on how the market is going and what we might be seeing in the future. Yeah, oh, that's Thank a great you. question. Um, that is a really good question. I am always looking for what is going on, what is new, what is going to happen, what's shifting. It's one of the fastest shifting markets because it has such a high volume readership, right? You know, if you love romance, you love romance and you read as many as you possibly can, which is great. Um, it also means that trends go really quickly. I will say, I think there has always been room for more debuts and there will continue to be. You know, I talk to editors who are really interested in new voices all the time. So while you might still see, you know, a lot of the same voices popping up, everyone's consistently looking for what's new, what's next, who's around. We're seeing maybe a little bit of a shift away from the kind of gum rom-coms that we've been seeing for the past two to three years, which I still love. Um, and I think that there's still a lot of room for it, but I think audiences are looking for some other things. So we're seeing some more tearjerkers come out. We're seeing these capers start to publish. We're seeing kind of divisions within it that kind of build and pull in other genres into that wonderful formula with the HEA at the end that we all crave. Um, so it's kind of, it's an expanding, which is great. I love to see it. And we hope for an HEA for all of you and your writing careers too. Okay, one more question about synopsis length. So was the synopsis in this query just long enough? Um, I think, yeah, I think it was pretty good. It was right on the edge, right? So like, I wouldn't want more than this, but I don't necessarily think it needs to be pared down a ton. I think sticking to about two paragraphs of 
this is what happens. And then one of this is the book as a whole is a great kind of place to try to stick around. If you have 12 points of view in your book, you might need longer. Um, but, but for the most part, I thought this was pretty good. Yay, Phoebe, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Of I'm course. sure the author loves all your notes. And um, yeah, we love hearing what people like. So much appreciated. Great. Thank you for being here. It was here. so much fun. Thank you very much. Yay. Okay, next up we have Emmy, who has prepared something wonderful for all of you. Emmy, come on down. Tell us about you. Tell us what you like. <laughs> I feel like you're setting the bar really high. I've never given this lesson before, so it'll be <laughs> exciting for all of us. <laughs> um, yeah, hi, I'm Emmy Nordstrom Higdon. I work at Westwood Creative Artists. Um, I've been there for, I guess this is about my fourth year of agenting and I've been there for most of my career now. So um, it's a really, it's a place where I feel really wonderfully supported with great mentors. And we have a long, I would say like reputation of doing literary fiction and like serious nonfiction. And so when I was hired, it was to kind of do something a little bit different than that um, and fill in some of those gaps. So I do represent across age categories and genres from picture book all the way up to adult. And I do a little bit of nonfiction as well, but romance and women's fiction, and especially sort of like in the upmarket book club kind of space is one of my favorite things to read. I do tend to get a lot of really dark queries. So I always joke that these kinds of books are like my cupcakes in the middle of my day. I feel like I like to read really broadly, but sometimes you just need something like light and fun. So I love to keep a few authors who are doing that kind of work on my list all the time. In terms of what I like to look for, um, I compulsively update my manuscript wish list, so you can always check out my page. One of the things I recently added was a list of some of my favorite tropes. In terms of romance, I really like Grumpy Sunshine. Um, he falls first, right person, wrong time. I love workplace dramas of any kind, whether it's romance or kind of more on the upmarket side, um, and especially around sort of like women and their particular struggles or queer people in their particular struggles or other people with other kinds of marginalized experiences um, and how those play out in like wacky and often like dark humory kind of ways. And I'm always looking for, I grew up in a small place and so I'm always looking for small town, but I love things that take that kind of like small town vibe that we see so often in romance books, but like really small town, <laughs> like not like oh, we have like a main street with like three somehow like amazing restaurants, but like actually like my barn in the back is falling down. What the heck do I do now? Um, so I love those like really, really microscopic settings. Um, I also really love, like I'm finding lately, especially my biggest, the two biggest things that I'm drawn towards are like quirky weirdos doing their best. Um, ideally, if they are not doing their best very well, <laughs> um, like really try hard quirky weirdos are something I'm super drawn to. And then also I have spent an unfortunate portion of this winter um, injured. And so I've been watching a lot more television than <laughs> I normally do. Um, and I have been just absolute marathon watching old seasons of Real Housewives. That is my like dirty secret right now. Um, so those like rich people problems like kind of like twists on suburban stories but I love to see those kinds of really like overused overdone plot lines with like an interesting take on them so I love unconventional family configurations um, I love uh, queer families I love found families 
Um, I love like platonic romance stories and like really complex friendship stories. Um, and I do tend to be drawn more toward, I would say, standalone um, titles, whether it's like in really fluffy romance or something that leans like more on the, on the suspense side um, or kind of the like drama side. Um, I'm less interested in series and more like I love books that are a real gut punch all at once or ones that you can read over and over and over again because they're like so comfy and nice. Um, so one of the things that I get asked for all the time by editors is I find that no matter what genre I'm talking to people about these days, like one of the biggest things that they are looking for um, is like propulsive, immersive stories. And I feel like we've been hearing that since like probably the beginning of COVID, if I'm being honest. Um, people really want to see stories that like really take them someplace. And so one of the things that I um, really love is like those little tiny, those tricks you can use to make a book that would maybe come across as otherwise too quiet into something that can be described as like really page turning without sort of like having, you know, super high stakes or like ridiculously unrealistic um, plot lines because I still really like slice of life stories and I think that there are ways to make those stories really exciting and really vibrant and so um, I love high concept but I don't think that it has to be something that's like you know set on Mars to be <laughs> an enjoyable immersive read so one of my tricks for that is to always encourage people to be focusing on active versus passive voice in their writing and to be really really aware of these like little ways you can trick your readers like even on just like a line level or a word level into, you know, being really, really impacted by what you're writing. So when we're talking about active versus passive voice, what we're really talking about is the subject of your sentence. So it's a grammatical feature, obviously, but when we talk about active voice, what we're really talking about is focusing on the character and focusing on what they're doing and on their power and on their agency. And so even though it might seem like a little tedious kind of grammar trick more than anything, I think that the more that we lean into that active voice in writing, the more that we get to see our characters really getting to act out their own stories. And that becomes really, really powerful for the reader. So active voice is the voice that's usually used in fiction. Um, passive voice is often used in like academic writing or some nonfiction writing. Um, we use it a lot because it's really clean, it's simple, it's direct. And like I said, it gives the subject of the sentence um, power and agency because they're performing the action in the sentence. So the more that we can like read our own writing with that in mind, the more that we bring those characters into their own, I think. Um, versus the passive voice, which like I said, is often used um, in nonfiction, in some science writing, for example, for those of you who like, that's your quirky query letter hobby, um, you're probably very familiar with that voice. Um, it emphasizes the action rather than the subject. And so it can be really useful sometimes. And I'm going to talk about the ways it can be useful too. But um, for example, it can be more tactful or it can be a little bit more subtle and it can create an illusion of sort of objectivity or authority. And so I find it most useful in dialogue. So when I'm trying to create character really, really quickly in dialogue, if you can use the passive voice um, either to create a character that, you know, like a security guard, for example, if he's speaking in 
passive voice, you'll get the sense right away that he feels like he's the boss. Or um, on the other hand, if you have sort of someone who's a little bit more submissive, then you'll see them being a little more tactful. Um, those are cases in which the passive voice might be used. So why do we use active voice other than to trick our readers, which, you know, is very <laughs> like maybe that's a very like mischievous way to want to use grammar. But here we are. Um, it is more clear and it tends to be more accessible as well. So especially if you're writing for, I always say like the grocery store reader who wants to be able to like pick up a book and just enjoy it and not have to think we've all been there. <laughs> um, that's going to make your writing really clear and really accessible. I always say that that's the kind of book that like my mom loves to read because she does not want to feel challenged when she is picking up a book. She wants to be able to just like chill in her armchair. So when you're trying to write for that audience, especially um, active voice is a great way to do that. It also can really, really help with your word count. So you'll notice that if you're writing in passive voice a lot, trying to get sort of like longer wordier sentences and sometimes that can be like an effective stylistic you know strategy to use but if you're trying to be really precise and efficient or if for example you're reading my manuscript list and you're like a hundred thousand words what do you mean you don't consider things over a thousand words just something I get all the time that's one way that you can really pare down the word counts in your um in your query letters and your and in your writing overall um it also, like I said, grants agency and power to your subject. It can also, because of that, create more emotional impact. So if somebody is really on board and your character is doing like a big thing, then it's probably going to have more impact than if it's described in kind of like a roundabout way. It can also come across as being more descriptive and kind of less robotic. People are used to reading a lot of um, passive voice in things like instruction manuals or... Um, like even blog posts and things that are like about a product maybe because it does make things sound like they're coming from this like objective scientific when we use active voice we get the opposite of that it sounds very human it sounds very um like lush in a lot of ways um so when we're thinking about how to compete with the ai books <laughs> this is, this is the way to do it is to be the master of your active voice so these are just a few little tricks to convert passive voice to active voice. So obviously, I mean, this could be like an hour long grammar lesson and I don't want it to be that. Um, but these are just like a few little easy ways that when you're reading, if you're not like 100% on your grammar and you're like, is this active voice? Is this passive voice? Sometimes you can use these little tricks to kind of figure out, is this something that I should be changing from passive to active? So for example, you can look for a by phrase. So if your sentence has the word by in it, often that's like a, that's a giveaway. So like the documents were edited by Mike. Mike is the subject of that sentence, but he's not an active subject in that case. So you can, it's a really easy way to be like, oh, this is a sentence I can change around. I can make Mike the active subject. Um, the other one is if there is an action, but if there is no name of a subject or no subject is identified, then that's a really easy way too to be like, oh, this is in passive voice. I need to like stick a subject in there somehow. And it doesn't necessarily need to be the character's name, but it'll identify who is performing the action. Um, and then the other one is to look for two different verbs. So if your sentence has a form of the verb to be in it, and then also your main verb, then that's also a good hint that you're probably in passive voice. So these are just examples of the little tips that I've just outlined. So 
when you see the sentence, the exam was failed by most students, you can see the little by in there and you can be like, oh, that's my red flag, that's my passive voice. So the way that we would switch this to the active voice is to say most students failed the exam. The other thing is, if you have a sentence where there isn't the word by, but you can add it to that sentence and still have it be grammatically correct, that's another like little way to test. So if you had like, the policy was changed, that doesn't have the word by in it, but obviously it's a short sentence. And you could add, if you're wondering to yourself, does this have an anonymous subject in it? If you can add by and a name to it and still have it be a proper sentence, then that's like the same little flag. So that comes up in the next one, which is the anonymous subject. Visitors are not allowed. So visitors are not allowed doesn't have a subject in it at all, but you could always say visitors are not allowed by the principal or by the office. So if there's an anonymous subject or you could add the by in and still have it be like, the example, it's a little awkward, but it's still correct, then that's a good hint that you're in passive voice. And then the last one is having the two verbs. So the check was paid by my friends. You can see the verb to be, and you can also see the verb paid, which is your main verb. So you can see those two verbs in there right beside each other. That's a giveaway that this is passive voice. So if you wanted to switch it to active voice, it would say my friends paid the check. And then you've given them a little more credit for the action that they've done here. Maybe a little bit of extra thanks in this scenario. Um, and you've changed to active voice. So there are a couple of situations in which you could use passive voice and it would still be really effective. One is when you want to emphasize an action rather than the actor. So for example, we have here, the woman was sentenced to five years in jail. This emphasizes that, you know, that she was given this prison sentence and it takes the action off of the, well, the judge, I guess, in this case, the active version might be the judge sentenced the woman to five years in jail. But what we want to focus on here is the woman and her predicament, right? And not the person who made that decision. So in this case, you're, the woman would probably be your character and you would be describing her situation rather than describing the person who made that choice. And then the other example that I have is if we were, if we're trying to be sneaky and we're trying to avoid naming the subject of the action. So the rules were somehow misinterpreted by who we don't know. Was it your character? Was it someone else? Is it, are you trying to like make a hint at something without outright telling your readers or outright lying to them? The passive voice can be a tricky way to do that too. So there are some instances in which passive voice can be really, really helpful. So that is my whole cutesy slideshow about active versus passive voice. Um, and I know that it's not the most thorough lesson, but hopefully it gives like a little bit of an idea of how you can use like a nerdy grammar trick to trick your readers and possible agents and editors into um, feeling like your story is really, really immersive and really exciting, even in its quieter moments. So I hope that's helpful to everyone. <laughs> I mean, we are in awe. That is amazing. Oh Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so before we move on to our next presenter, I would like all of you to please opt in for a prize, if you would like one, what could it be? Who knows? Um, <laughs> fill out the form, and if you win, you'll find out. Um, actually, no, all of you will find out in a moment. <laughs> um, but next up, we have Kiki Nguyen. Kiki, come on down. I'm Kiki <laughs> Nguyen. I work with um, Donald Moss Literary Agency. I represent fiction in YA and adult. 
um, across romance, horror, um, thriller and YA and domestic suspense in um, adult. That means no fiction, no FBI's, no CIA's, no military, none of that. We want messy friendships, messy people living their real lives and entangling with each other. Um, I also do sci-fi fantasy, though I'm more interested in less, let's save the world thing and more like, how are we surviving this new dictatorship by this magician type of thing? Um, and I also do uh, women's fiction, though I really wanna focus on breaking out stories by creators of color and queer curators within the, um, 20s to early 40s section. I feel like that's a real big gap in our market right now. Um, and um, that's just something I'm really interested in, something like rap shit or insecure, Easter Ray, Quinta Brunson, that type of thing. Um, yeah, I think that's all about the things that I represent. I'm always just down to get a new perspective and different types of characters because I'm essentially like an alt girly in. And I want to see more of my people. So <laughs> that's my spiel. Yay. Thank you so much for being here. And you prepared an exercise for everybody. Why don't you, why don't you talk about what you're thinking? Yeah. So this tails back to my Tumblr days in 2011. I don't know if y'all are familiar, um, but I'm super emo. And my favorite way to get to know the love interest of the main character is through angst. So um, my prompt is describe your care, your love in your your oh, your love interest through the main character's eyes through angst. Yes, and so this is just the sort of thing we're thinking you can do in just a couple sentences, mm -hmm. um, and pop it in the chat. Um, Kiki will choose a few favorites. Um, while you're all doing that, why don't we take a few questions? I had a quick. Qu Quick question about um, genres. Well, if if you say book club fiction on something like your manuscript wish list, and you think that you are kind of upmarket, would you be like, oh, okay, so that's me? Or generally speaking, is 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 it specific to certain genres? Should I answer this? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So book club fiction um, is how I would normally really attach it to literary fiction and women's fiction. Um, these are the type of things that you would see on like a Reese Witherspoon or an Oprah list. These are the types of things that typically there are women uh, geared and focused, um, but they talk about in their reading groups. Um, a good example, it does not really, um, it's not exclusive to women's fiction, literary fiction. I think the best example in another genre would be Gillian Flynn's early novels. That's really how she gained her audience and her success throughout her career. Um, all of her early books were featured in book clubs. Um, and essentially, the best way that I could do to, I, I could think of to generalize what makes a, a novel a book club fiction is that it is easily accessible to readers. It is very fast paced. Um, and it has sort of a really um, undeniable characters when it comes to voice and connection with the reader. I would also say that it, it's unlikely that sci-fi and fantasy would be included in that. Horror is probably more likely because again, it is one of those more um, th uh, audience thrill type of books. While we are waiting for the prompts and the questions to come in, what's something hopeful that you wish writers knew about the publishing process? Um, I think that writers are in a lot more control than they feel like. Obviously, it feels like to get the agent and then you have to get the publisher and then you have to get the audience. But at the end of the day, what can make you most secure 
um, as a writer is knowing exactly the type of work that you want to work on, what fulfills you, um, and being satisfied and in love with that process. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that you can control the work that you write and the work that you put out there. Um, and that will be the most fulfilling relationship that you have is with yourself and your work rather than from outside sources or validation. And I always say this, um, like, you know, James Patterson is a very successful writer and so many people hate that man's books and so many people love that man's books. And <laughs> he's, is he gonna let that affect him? No. Um, and he's really living blissfully as a career writer. Um, and I think that there is a lot to be said um, in believing in yourself um, and trusting yourself that even if maybe the work that you're sending out there is not getting the, traction, the traction or the reception that you want, you finish a novel that you, with your vision from beginning to end. And that's something to be proud of. Agree. And I think everyone on the panel would agree. Um, if the last third of your book takes place over a decade after the first part, should this time jump or any time jump be in indicated in the query? Oh, that's a great question. Um, the last third of the book is pretty tricky because it's not necessarily significant, I think, in terms of structure versus like you could say, um, uh, it's been 10 years since the death of my best friend. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, you're not, doing in first person it's been, it's been 10 years since the death of the main character's best friend and you know they're discovering all of these new things that really make them rethink that past thing um that's something that i would put in the query if it is just a passage of time um i might throw in a line there in the the last kind of third paragraph of your pitch section so if your pitch is like intro uh obstacle attempted solutions and then the ultimate goal um then you could just put like um uh, so something to delineate patches of time i don't know the last third of the book is, is very hard because it's very integral to what your plot is specifically um uh so if it's not one of those things where we have to know um for the plot to understand what your main character is going through in their personal arc um i think it's either here nor there awesome and let's see We've got a lot of great prompts in here. Do you want to choose your favorite? Read okay. it out loud. Call up the author to say nice things. I'm always amazed by just how good everything is that you all make. I don't know how that happened, but um, Julie, we must have done something right. Right. And there's such a density when people do this, the density <laughs> of word choice that that moves each and every along. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. And Kiki, if you'd like more time, we could um, come back to if you want to. It's yeah, actually, that'd be great. That'd be great. <sighs> Thank you so much, Kiki. We will be back um, with your winner in about ten minutes. <laughs> Annette, come on, come on down. Tell us about you. Thanks for having me. And yeah, the the website looks gorgeous. Thank you guys so much. It's exciting. I'm Anjanette Barr, and I work uh, at Dunham Literary. And I am new. I have only, I became an agent last year in 2022. I've been in working in various um, parts of publishing for a decade for, and I was, I've been writing forever. Um, but I just really kind of used that kick in the bottom we all got with COVID to decide what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. <laughs> so, so I've been uh, really enjoying 
reading queries, getting to know people, um, seeing this business from this other side. What a privilege. Um, it's been so much fun. And I represent um, uh, every age category and I'm a very eclectic reader. So most genres, um, I don't love uh, political um, themes or thriller or erotica and that's kind of it that's really the only things that I don't love um I have a soft spot for magical realism fantasy um genres that mash together a little bit like a little bit of magic added to my romance um so a lot of times when I'm looking at women's fiction um or romance, uh, the things that draw me to particular titles and, and particular queries are when there is an element um, that stands out beyond just the relationships, because of course the relationships are core, um, but something that I feel at the end of this book, I'm going to know more about a certain something I didn't expect I needed to know about. So I, just something that might grab my attention would be like, if something is set in some random setting like a zoo or a botanical garden or um, a science lab. And I didn't know that I needed to know anything about those things, but by the end of the romance, not only am I totally excited for these two characters, but I feel like I've learned something about um, some obscure or something. Often that is like the occupation of the, the characters or the setting. Um, and then of course with magical realism, I love when something unexpected happens and we have to kind of, um, uh, wade through what the implications are on the relationships. So a lot of my favorite um, books have either like a time slip in them or some kind of um, futuristic aspect. So, but I really do read across just about everything. I love middle grade fiction, I think, because um, in uh, when we're talking about children's literature in middle grade, you can get away with the most silliness. And so something some in, in adult uh, books that um, carry that youthful playfulness over. And uh, I, I not that I don't like serious books, I have a, a ridiculous love for classic uh, fiction, um, as, as well as literary fiction. But especially right now with all of us for hopeful stories, I think um, I love when we can have just a little bit of playfulness and um, unexpected silliness in uh, in the plot. So I chose a query. Thank you guys for sending queries in. It's um, so hard to be vulnerable sometimes. And I really appreciate that you guys did that and you're letting the, us read them out loud because it's so helpful. Uh, querying is one of those things that um, it's hard to really know what's going to hit the mark until you've done it a lot and until you've read a lot of examples. So it's good to be able to read through um, some other people's queries. So I'm going to share my screen. And I chose this uh, query, Misfits of Mermaid Diner, um, for a few reasons. And one of that is that um, I love this premise. And it's a very, uh, you'll, I'm, I'm going to read this whole thing aloud, but you'll see um, it's, it's a twist on something that's a perennial favorite of a, um, a person that's kind of a successful, high impact personality coming back to a small town. And what that what that does and what that uh, leads to. So I'm actually going to read the whole thing. Um, I loved Phoebe's presentation. I'm going to do it slightly differently. I'm going to read the whole thing and then come back and talk about 
different aspects of it. So we have Leila Singh is a food publicist at the Los Angeles agency Champagne for Breakfast. Her days are filled with enviable food excursions, temperamental chefs, calculating colleagues, and fluctuating waste, and a fluctuating waste thanks to a diet of charcuterie boards, seasonal cocktails, and a passion for gourmet donuts. After 15 years of being a doting hospitality flack, Leela has reached the top of the food pyramid. Her clients are thriving, her boss wants to make her a partner, and she's been dubbed the fixer by a national food magazine. Leela has arrived, or that's what it looks like in print anyway. But Leela has a past, one she left behind and had no plans of returning until fate intervenes and a poignant figure from her childhood hires champagne for breakfast to save the iconic mermaid diner, a beachside greasy spoon in the small seaside town of Sea Cove and Leela's childhood home. Mermaid diner once meant everything to Leela and her mom and her mom who died in a tragic accident that changed the trajectory of her life. Forced back to Sea Cove, Leela's past and present collide as she must face the memories of her mother, the friends she left behind, and a peek into the life she may have had if she would have followed her dreams. With the help of a cast of misfits trying to save the mermaid, Leela has a few months to keep the diner from becoming a luxury beachfront hotel and holding on to the last of her mother's culinary legacy. Leela rediscovers a life she had buried and finds that coming home awakens her in a way she never expected. With the entire community watching Leela stumble to save the diner, she soon finds herself asking, is she saving the mermaid diner or is it saving her? Okay, thank you for sharing that with us. And um, the reason I chose this is one of the things I think this does really well is that I have a great sense of the voice of this author. I kind of already know what I'm going to be expecting um, from the the whole the whole book, and I know that it resonates with me. Um, this author is punny. There's a lot of food language, which is an example of something that will catch my attention because, you know, even though food isn't the the you know even though food food is integral to the plot, and I'm going to be immersed in this world of food reading this book. Um, I really like that, and I think that. Um, uh, that voice um, carries through, like I said, and so I wanted to um, talk then about what we can do with this query to make it catch uh, an agent or an editor's attention faster. Because what we what what this author has done um, is to uh, tell us a lot about the main character up front in a way that is a little confusing. A lot of times. Um, uh, queries will begin with a salutation, and then it'll be it tells a little bit about the book itself, and then it'll go into the um, you know the manuscript and the the plot with a hook, and then at the bottom is an author bio. And so starting out with the kind of this character bio at the beginning really threw me for a loop. At first, I thought the author was talking about themselves in the very beginning of that query, um, and so I think one way to just uh, um, mitigate that confusion is to give us a little bit more about the book. What genre is this book in? What's the length? Um, who does it appeal to? Uh, you know, I love um, uh, Bibi's point about you don't have to put comp titles right up front, but if we can get a good feel right at the at the at the front whether it is something that we would normally read, um, then we're more likely to keep reading. And you really do want your agent to want to read what you've written because you don't want an agent who is not a good fit for you, who's not going to 
resonate with the book, know who to pitch it to, know how to talk about it enthusiastically. So it's not a bad thing if an agent stops reading after the first paragraph because that book wasn't for them. So make it easy for us to know exactly what um, what this book, uh, where it fits on the shelf, you know, and how long it is, things like that, um, who it's the, the age group and um, who's, who's going to be reading it. So, um, and then this first paragraph uh, about Leela, it's got a lot of words. It's, it's, it's a very thorough description of really the setup. So what I love is um, this paragraph down here starts to tell us about, you know, we know she's going to end up in this small town. We know that she, um, it's going to mix her up. She's got this assignment. The conflict comes in too far down this query to know, you know, um, what's really difficult for her about moving back to this um, smaller place. And, you know, what is her mother's culinary legacy? There's a lot that we don't, um, that, that, that you could give us as an author that will hook us near the beginning. And I think it's hidden near the end of this query. Um, the last paragraph, the last paragraphs make this sound like there's going to be some some fun, maybe fun, maybe heartbreaking mishaps, that there's more characters here, this cast of misfits. I want to know more about these friendships that she's going to be um, have as her allies in this story. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I want to know more about what's at stake. So what what is it uh, that she can do that will um, save this diner? And why isn't it working out? What what happens that's... Um, that's um, that's that's keeping us reading, hoping for her. I, I made some other notes here. Um, and one of the things that I said is anytime you're trying to decide if this uh, query flows well, read it out loud. Um, there were several sections that I read that I stumbled over the first time, and I had the advantage of seeing this ahead of time, um, that just some rewording, some changing of uh, the order of words would make it more clear. And uh, because agents receiving queries get so many, you know, we want to just be able to just read right through and not have to go back and read another paragraph. So read it out loud and you'll catch those things that are so easy to miss when you're, um, when you're just reading it on paper. And then the last thing is um, I really do love feeling not only that I resonate with a story, but that I resonate with the author. And so having an author bio at the end, even if you don't feel like you have writing credits to share, um, something that gives us a little piece of your personality, why is writing about um, food or publicity or small towns, you know, what, what is it that, 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 um, that, makes this an interesting topic for you or anything interesting about you that would catch someone's eyes. I live in Alaska. It's an automatic obvious. If I say I live in Alaska, we have something to talk about. You know, you never do know um, what's going to catch an agent's attention and you are you, so you be you, but it helps us to all feel like we're dealing with real people because that's really what it's all about. It's just relationships and finding that partner who is interested in what you're writing can help you take it to the level it needs to be at and continue on. Um, so don't hesitate to talk about yourself in your query, even if you don't feel like you have the credentials that are um, impressive, because we're not just selling books, we're working with authors. So I think that's all I had to say. Thank you so much. That's wonderful. Okay, some of you have some fantastic questions coming in. Kristen, if you are available, 
Come on down and ask. Hi. My question was um, in upmarket and book club fiction, I know a lot of publishers just know what they want when they see it, but is there anything that's been done to death or anything that if you heard the premise, you would go, yeah, please, not that, we can't mm -hmm. market that or anything that they're particularly hungry for? Um, I can answer this, but I would love to hear everyone else's um, answers as well. Um, well, so first of all, it's it's all pretty uh, subjective. So what might be right for me might be very wrong for Emmy or very right for Anjanette. You know, it's it's all kind of that. Um, so I would say just be careful what as you're reading, make sure you're reading everyone's guidelines and stuff, especially in um, manuscript wish list where we often put things we're not looking for. Great resource. Um, so just make sure on a person by person basis, as far as me, um, there's no huge hard nose. Um, I'm not particularly looking for COVID set things either. Um, but it wouldn't be something that would make me throw it out immediately. Um, and as far as editors, again, it's kind of a case by case basis, but generally I, I don't think that there are any topics that are huge no-nos at the moment because there's a reader for everything, right? There's a ton of readers out there, a ton of editors out there who are all just looking for potentially what you have written. Yay. And Kristen, I love that you have um, word blocks that say romance in the back. Perfect for this <laughs> panel. We love when people uh, dress up for these things. Well done. We love a theme. Someday we'll have a costume party. Um, Eileen, you had a question. Come on down. Yeah, Julie, let's have a costume party soon. Um, so not to put you on the spot, but this was a question for Emmy in particular. In a previous interview, you mentioned that you are really into what the industry calls Trojan horse books. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little about if you have a couple that you really like, um, not client books, obviously, I don't mm -hmm. want you to try to pick favorites, but if there's a couple <laughs> you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. And that's something that I'm always looking for is um, what some editors refer to as Trojan horse books. So just to explain a little bit, I always have a really hard time articulating to people what I mean um, when I'm talking about this. And I, I had a conversation with an editor once who jumped right in and was like, oh, you mean Trojan horse books. But essentially what I mean by that is that I typically, I do actually tend to turn down books when I don't really know what the kind of overall message, like the big idea of a book is. So I'm particularly drawn to themes that are like politically progressive. Um, a lot of that comes from um, my background as a bookseller. I used to work in a social justice focused bookstore. And so the um, sort of the anecdote I always tell is that um, we used to have people, especially like regular customers who would come in all the time looking for things that would be super, super entertaining, but also kind of change the way that people think about, you know, a certain hot topic or like a political issue or even something like Anjanette was mentioning where, you know, it might not even be something you knew you wanted to know about, but it, you know, like opens your eyes to something new. But I don't love books that are pedantic and I don't love books that feel like they're talking down to anybody. Um, and especially when I talk about like the average reader, because I'm like acutely aware that I have a lot of education, for example, but most readers don't want to feel like they have to have 
like a graduate degree to sit down and read a romance novel, but that doesn't mean that they don't want to know what's going on in the cultural zeitgeist either. And so, yeah, for me, my favorite books are the ones that get at those kind of like political ideas and kind of the prescient conversations that are going on in the political zeitgeist or in the cultural moment um, without kind of beating you over the head with like, this is the idea that I'm trying to write about. So um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of my favorite books have those sorts of themes, but um, the one that I always kind of like to talk about is, for example, Alyssa Cole's writing, I feel like does this like so well um, from like the romance books that she writes that are so often like nudging people in and or at least as a white reader nudging me to think about questions of race or um, social class or you know poverty things like that in like in very subtle ways while entertaining me with like a super awesome romance story um, she also I one of my favorite books is her thriller when no one is watching which is you know on the surface just like a horror novel but it's actually about you know gentrification and um racism and all these other sorts of like really deep interesting political conversations but I don't think it feels that way when you read that book I think it feels like a roller coaster thriller story so um her writing is yeah some of the best I think in that kind of um sphere but the reason why I guess they are sometimes referred to as Trojan horse books is because you, that might not be the plot thrust of the book you wouldn't necessarily Alyssa Cole's query letter wouldn't necessarily say like I'm writing a book about gentrification and racism it would be I'm writing a book about these like crazy haunted houses and um you know like there's a whole there's all kinds of like pol um, plot drama that happens around this story so I always encourage people that like if you if there's something that has really inspired your book that isn't necessarily the center of the plot line like definitely pop that in your bio or pop it in your query letter in some way so that we can know um from the sample or from the query letter that you know there's a bigger conversation behind what it is that you're writing um because I find so often that is the case but people don't always kind of highlight that when they're pitching their book and I think that can be really helpful for people I call these books fluff with a bite. It's like oh, when yeah, your romance totally. novel has like a secret little like something stuck in it that you're like, oh, now I really get to like go to town on this. Yeah, absolutely. And I also love them in romance novels. I also think like romance novels with fat protagonists, for example, is like a really mm -hmm. basic example of that as I'm thinking more about it. Like I'm not a super skinny person. And so whenever I'm reading a book and I just see that representation, to me, that's really interesting because it is subverting some of the things that we've traditionally seen in romance. And it doesn't take a lot to do that. You know, it's like small little moments. So yeah, definitely. Thank you all so much. I love hearing about this. I think it's so good for everybody's brains to be hearing about this this way. This is, I'm just feeling so positive and uplifted. It's almost time for prizes. Kiki, do you have a favorite? So there are like a lot of really good ones and they're even a sci-fi-ish one. So that was like super cool. You could do this in any genre, honestly. Um, but I think the one that went out for me is by Amanda Hrum. And here's the, here's the, the lines. We rearranged to give one another a bit more room, but we were still three bodies on a love seat made for two. It would have only been natural for him to drape an arm behind my shoulders, yet his arms remained clasped and resting on his lap. I was firmly disappointed. Um, I love this because it's like, it really encapsulates being so close to the person that, you know, you're interested in and who you like. And then 
even you have that physical space, but you don't have the connection that you want. I'm like, ah, yes, beat my heart. Um, and I really, I think those, those, those first, that first sentence is just like such a strong image, but then also like, why can't they be poly or open? Let's think about it. But, um, (laughs) and, um, yeah, I really, I, I think, oh my God, three bodies on a love seat made for two. I'm going to be thinking about that. So I really, I really, really love that one. That really got me like just right away. Um, and then I, there, I, I can do some honorable mentions too. Um, Janelle Thesis one was really good. That really definitely got my, my little heartstrings. I felt like I was listening to some Hawthorne Heights. Um, Nikki Wheeler and Rebecca DeRose came in later with some last minute ones. And I was like, those are pretty good. I reacted to them. So I was just like, mm. all that stuff where it just feels like your heart is cramping while it's trying to reach out. That's my fave. <laughs> Aww, I love you that. So your, right. Your heart is cramping as you're trying to reach out. That's <laughs> such an amazing quote. Yeah. So Amanda, send us an email. We will give you your code to meet with the faculty agent or editor of your choice. Um, We have some more prizes too. Thank you for opting in. We're giving out two more uh, query consultations with faculty members. The next winner is uh, Misa. So sorry if I mispronounced that. Send us an email. And the next winner is Madeline. Congratulations. Yay. You guys are all amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, we appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for being here, supporting our writers, saying amazing things. You're such an important part of our community, and it means a lot for being here. Thanks for putting it all together. Thanks, everyone. We appreciate you so much. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.